Welcome to CII Podcasts. Uh, hello everyone, uh, this is Sharmila Kantha from CII and I am hosting this episode of the CII Podcast for you. Welcome to a very interesting episode that we have today uh, on the topic of new opportunities in electronics. The electronics sector is of course considered to be very much the foundation of every other manufacturing activity in the country today, especially when technology has taken its hold over the entire manufacturing sector. And uh, we do believe that uh, India has the potential to hasten our quest towards emerging as a global manufacturing technology and innovation hub for the world. Uh, so the question really is right now, uh, can the flourishing electronics industry with its ability to create value, create jobs and contribute significantly to bringing dynamism to our development journey, uh, how can it be recalibrated accordingly so that it meets our objectives of being ahead of the technology curve as well as creating the right jobs? What are the kind of policies that we will require? What are the experiences of companies in this sector right now? And how can we really become Atma Nirbhar in electronics? So today we have with us uh, uh, Mr. Vinod Sharma. He's the Managing Director of Deki Electronics Limited. He's a very successful entrepreneur and he is known for having shaped Deki Electronics into a world-class film capacitor manufacturer. Uh, he is also a, a consultant and a trainer and he uh, does devote a lot of attention and time towards enhancing competitiveness in the industry and to improve the skills of managers and entrepreneurs around the world. Uh, Mr. Sharma is also the chairperson of the CII National Committee on Information Communication Technology and Electronics and has represented the industry at several stakeholder interventions including at the policy level. Uh, thank you so much for making the time for the podcast, Mr. Sharma, uh, and welcome to the CII podcast. Uh, let us start a little bit about your own personal journey in the electronic sector, how you became an entrepreneur in this particular uh, segment, and uh, what did you see as the opportunities, and how do you see the journey of the electronic sector over the last few years since you have been involved with it? Uh, thank you, Sharmila ji, for having me over at this podcast. I think it's a brilliant initiative uh, to take our message, our experiences, our views uh, to several uh, interested audiences. Uh, and thank you for picking up our sector. And I hate to call it a sector anymore because, as you rightly pointed out in your in your opening uh, comments, electronics is today more than a vertical. It's a horizontal. It's a meta resource. It's something that enables and drives many other industrial sectors. It drives the government today. If you see the fantastic work done in the area of digitization uh, by our government of late, uh, so it delivers good governance, uh, participative democracy, uh, uh, you know, uh, a lot of uh, benefits uh, to the people who need the benefits of the ground uh, seamlessly. And we are very happy that we are able to, as an industry, enable a little bit of that. Uh, and I'm speaking this from a historical perspective where we all believe that uh, we were good at software and let somebody else do the hardware. And I uh, unfortunately met many government officers and think tanks at that point of time who were of this opinion that we can't be competitive with everything. But as somebody who was uh, who was involved with this industry for now almost 30 years, I always felt that this was a big mistake we were making. 
there are some things that a country of our size cannot afford to leave to the others. Uh, agriculture, for example, is one of them. We cannot say that a country of 1.3 billion people will import all their food. And, and to my mind, in my opinion, electronics is exactly the same. Uh, it enables today, it can help agriculture as we know, telemedicine, uh, drones, robotics, artificial intelligence, uh, electric vehicles. Uh, and of course, not to forget all the traditional things we've been doing, consumer electronics, making lives easier, simpler, uh, laptops and uh, telecommunication, the fact that we're using a facility like that now to speak to each other. Uh, so the, the scope of electronics is tremendous. Uh, what, in my opinion, we missed for a long, long time was how do we bring this to a grassroots level movement? How do we get SMEs, tiny companies, startups, entrepreneurs involved in this journey? And that journey is still not complete. But before I come to that, I will now attempt to answer uh, you know, your, your question about how I got it. Uh, for me, it's a second generation artificial. Uh, my father-in-law, Mr. Jay Kumar, who's chairman of the company, uh, he left the Indian Air Force, in, I think it was in 1984, and along with his wife set up this. And this was in a licensed era, so it's very interesting that you ask me this. At that point of time, you could go to the Ministry of Electronics, or then it was called the Department of Electronics, uh, and say, uh, I, uh, pick one of the items, components, televisions, whatever that you want to make, depending on how much your pocket could permit and what technologies you had access to. In our case, it happened to be capacitors, uh, film capacitors. We learned it from with a Japanese company called Okaya, on how to make capacitors. The interesting thing is that uh, at that point of time, we had an annual licensed capacity, government used to license capacity, of 10 million pieces for the whole year. If you made more than 10 million, you'd be put in jail. Uh, today, we make 4 million pieces per day. Uh, and it is my dream that we will make 10 million pieces per day someday. And at that point of time, we can truly say we are at a global scale and we are able to, uh, let's say, serve the community that we were born to serve. Thank you, Mr. Sharma. And uh, you, this is very fascinating the way that you've positioned the, the electronics industry over the years. Especially, you know, the industrial licensing policy, which is now, of course, uh, uh, not there anymore since 1991. And that has really allowed the sector to take off quite substantially. Of course, there were a whole lot of uh, other policies, including the recent policies of the production linked incentive scheme and the electronics manufacturing clusters 2.0. Uh, how do you think these policies especially the PLI scheme, how are they going to be contributing to the future of the sector and uh, in developing the indigenous manufacturing capacity in India? So, you know, uh, I, I would step back and say, why did we need an incentive scheme for electronics? And the reason was that uh, in the wisdom of the government, and in my opinion, and the opinion of many of my industry colleagues, very prematurely, actually, as you rightly said, 91, we opened up our, our markets and our manufacturing was delicensed. Uh, and that was the time we were beginning to take baby steps to compete with the world at large. Uh, but it was also in uh, 98 that we signed a WTO agreement called uh, ITA1, which basically rendered about 216 tariff lines of the electronics items, of which not only the IT as the name, uh, not only laptops or tablets or uh, or computers, but also several components, uh, for example, capacitors, transformers, PCBs, in fact, almost all electronic components were brought to a duty of zero uh, by 1st April of 2005. So from 1st April 2005 onwards, every single electronic item uh, or component that was out of that list, which was made and sold in India or abroad, 
was done at a globally competitive price. So often we fail to appreciate the fact that there are very few industries in India that can manufacture uh, in a glo globally competitive environment at zero protection. Uh, and it was much later that we were able to, in fact, we suffered inverted duty for some time. So there was a duty, a customs duty on our import raw material, uh, but the final component of the final product was, some, was allowed to come into the country uh, with no restrictions at zero duty. So obviously we've been through a really tough patch in competing with our friends and our neighbors uh, abroad. Uh, also, we have to remember that while, you know, manufacturing in India has been stuck at about 16% of our GDP for quite some time, it's only off late the last three, four years we see an escalation. Uh, so from a manufacturing perspective, while our labor costs are cheap, comparatively economical, we have not really proven ourselves, but for the last few years, which I'm very, very happy has happened, to be a really great manufacturing hub or a competitive manufacturing hub. And the reasons are some factors which are beyond the control of any factory manager, you know, beyond the competitiveness beyond the four walls of my factory, uh, namely, uh, you know, the cost of money, finance itself, the cost of energy, which I'm dependent on uh, the state I'm in, uh, or the cost of logistics, you know, which of late, uh, the number has been really climbing. These three factors alone put me off in terms of efficiency by about 8 to 2%. And so we brought this to the consistently to the, uh, the uh, attention of all the policymakers saying, look, unless you give us something that mitigates this 8% disabilities, as we call it, back, and the irony was that the more value you add within the country, more would be. So the, the impact of these disabilities was proportionate to the amount of value I was trying to add. So it was no wonder that from 91 onwards, a lot of manufacturers actually that value add got eroded and they became traders. Many of them became just brand packages, as we saw in some of the mobile phone companies earlier, Indian brands with that, uh, importing stuff from all over and just branding it as Indian brands. Unfortunately, we went through that year. But I'm very glad that of late, the last few years, uh, the government, the policymakers, the industry and industry bodies like CII, we are all fully aligned to the reason why we need this, as I said in the beginning, and what needs to be done for it. So towards this, the government, at least in the Ministry of Electronics, uh, did two things or three things, I would say. One was a capital expenditure or capital subsidy scheme where 25% money largely was given for a lot of components to put up. Inve uh, put investments into manufacturing. The second, which came later, uh, which used to be called MSIPs and was called SPECs now. The second part is the, uh, the PLI scheme, which is much uh, spoken of now. This was a incentive scheme, uh, which first made me commit to a certain threshold of investment over the next four or five years, and then promised to the government a certain turnover. And if I'm able to meet both these criteria, then I'm ent entitled to uh, this uh, a an incentive based on my turnover, which is fantastic, because I think it's a very outcome-oriented scheme. The government actually does not spend even a single rupee till I have not done what I promised to do, not created the jobs, not added the value. So I think it's a pretty good scheme, a well-balanced scheme. And we've seen that now in 14 different sectors, it's uh, it's finding traction. Uh, the third part that the government is rightly doing now is through what we call the electronic manufacturing clusters, because at the end of the day, manufacturing is done in states. It's not done at the center. The state governments need to get and play a more active role. Some states are playing fantastic roles. Some states are uh, still catching up and I hope they will soon. The idea is like in China, Taiwan, Korea, Japan, and now in Malaysia, Indonesia, and Vietnam, uh, there are plug and play facilities available. So if you want to create a large cluster of electronic companies or a large company with like a Foxconn of 50,000 people, 100,000 people, 
we have to enable that in india that people can live on the premises uh, come to work uh, without really having to uh, go through a lot of traffic and hassles um, and work for 8 hours 10 hours a day in these factories so i think we are getting there through the electronic manufacturing cluster scheme and while the large companies do this the smaller companies can have uh, you know uh, flatted factories have access to plug and play infrastructure so that they can set up component or parts uh, supplies very quickly uh, one task that we still remain with so we've done the cell phones are being assembled now fantastic medical equipment is coming up uh, now recently dpiit has done this fantastic job of pli for air conditioners and leds uh, where the emphasis is far more on components which is the correct thing to do uh, so we are seeing that this is emerging some work still remains on the component side and we are working very closely with the government to ensure that happens sooner than later uh, yeah, so the PLI scheme for electronics has uh, attracted a lot of attention, but this is primarily from the large players, and many of them are global players, uh, which are coming into the uh, to the you know to the manufacturing scenario in India. So, how does this uh, play out? Do you think for the smaller uh, companies, for the small enterprises, will this lead to more opportunities for them to grow or to enter new sectors of production? or to uh, set up their own uh, uh, you know ancillary industries to the larger industries will the new companies that are coming from overseas also bring in some of their own ancillaries from these countries like taiwan or korea and uh, will this in general lead to much more value addition within india's own manufacturing sector i think it's an excellent question and uh, in the question is hidden this concern that all of us have in the industry Rightly so, because you are absolutely right. So, if you take the first PLI that came, PLI for mobile phones, the government did make a little attempt at saying uh, they made a distinction between large multinational companies and Indian-owned companies, uh, and and the threshold levels that were given to the Indian companies were at twenty percent of the threshold that was for very large multinational companies like an Apple or a Samsung. Uh, and then there was also a clause of components for mobile phones that was very much a part of that. Uh, unfortunately, uh, that policy had two issues, and we've taken it up with the government. One, as you rightly pointed out, it was for large players. You know, the minimum threshold, uh, even for components, was a was an investment of hundred crores. Uh, now, which is not easy for many Indian companies or even ancillary units across the world to meet that. And secondly, uh, the investment to turnover ratio that was within embedded in the scheme was one is to six. It was the same copy paste value addition that we require uh, uh, turnover ratio of a mobile phone. Now the reality is in components the investment to turnover ratios can be as low as one is to one. In a very good case, it can be one is to two. Uh, so we have gone back to the government and we are seeking now a specialized PLI scheme for electronic components and parts, which takes care of both these issues. One is uh, why have a high threshold? We need to get the threshold as low as possible. Everybody should participate uh, because components traditionally, I mean, 30 years ago when we started making the first radio sets in India and the black and white televisions. Uh, we had the entire supply chain in India. You know, the flyback transformers, the PCVs, the picture tubes, the plastic cabinets was all made in India in different states. Um, unfortunately, you know, today we eroded most of that supply chain. So two things I'd like to point out. We have to remember that all these countries I named earlier, the Asian Tigers, they all doubled or tripled their GDP within 10 years or 15 years based on one large sector that was electronic manufacturing. So our time is coming now and we need to play that template carefully. Number two, 
assembly of electronics is desirable and uh, you know as the honorable prime minister has rightly claimed that we are now the second largest assembler of mobile phones if you ask me what is our vision it is to become not just the assembler but the second large or the largest manufacturer of mobile phones so if you understand the industry a little bit there is a design aspect which in a silo we are quite smart at designing we design for the world we are not designing for ourselves unfortunately but that should change and then the second part is the whole assembly thing which we got our act together now there is a duty on mobile phones there is a phase manufacturing program for components there is a pli scheme there is specs and then there is exes so we got the assembly act together now the last one but which is the most meaty part and which in my opinion is the most irreversible part because if something goes wrong tomorrow uh, if the duties on mobile phones are taken away there's quite a chance that some assemblers will wonder why do i assemble in india why can't i do it somewhere else and bring it to india at zero two but if we have the components of those mobile parts or uh, all sorts of equipment happening in india and the design happening in india then we are assured of a very stable uh, an industry that's going to grow we have already grown at about 23% cagr we think that we can grow at about 30% cagr and today from about only playing a role of about 1.5 to 2% of the global electronics we want to go to 10% of the global electronics uh, and that would be really a fantastic day for all of us and if you do that in components then to create jobs millions of jobs uh, which which are skilled jobs which are high value adding jobs and the last bit i want to say also on this is the opportunity is not only in designing uh, new age artificial intelligence equipment based equipment which is definitely there or robotics or drones that we talk so much about in electric vehicles there is also an opportunity in ems as we have seen but there is a much larger opportunity in components because this is the place where if you take let's say for example the film capacitors of my company mix we are converting plastic film polyesters and polypropylenes adding some chemicals some epoxy resins some styrenes and creating an electronic component so this is an industry interface between mechanical thermal chemical electrical uh, all these metals rubbers plastics these industries are coming together to create something for the electronics for the first time same thing happens if we do a a display same thing happens if we do a semiconductor because it's about larger scale and hence truly an involvement of the whole supply chain uh, and industries of all sectors comes together if we are able to aim at the common goal and to me that is the real opportunity quite definitely i think the components are the route to go instead of you know focusing on the end uh, end the final product uh for uh, we have a whole segment of uh, electronics of course you refer to the mobile phones which are i believe currently doing very well even though we are uh, you know more at the assembly stage but we do hope that the supply chain will become uh, deeper as we go forward but there is also a lot of uh, uh, industrial uh, electronics there is consumer electronics there are something called strategic electronics the electronics computer hardware led products all of these are adding up to the entire uh, electronics uh, ecosystem so uh, looking into the future where do you think are more of these opportunities going to be coming up you know like things like sensors internet of things uh, artificial intelligence which will be merging uh, manufacturing as well as services together where should the new entrepreneur be focusing on if he wants to expand into electronics electronics manufacturing So electronics fortunately I see as a very modular industry. So when we use an equipment today we are actually using several technologies put together you know 
so for example there would be a display technology you know that allows us to see each other uh, there is a whole amount of uh, audio technology involved there are electronic controls uh, there are uh, uh, there are power supplies that are involved with this uh, and add to this what i would call embedded firmware and then the software on which we we write this whole thing so if you take electronics hardware which has its components of design assembly uh, components and testing you take the the design aspect of the whole firmware which is uh, very interesting by itself and then the application softwares that drive it and help us to use it uh, what you would call user interfaces uh, and then of course not to forget that this whole data is stored somewhere so there is uh, also a whole backend uh, that is working together uh, in my opinion the real opportunity lies in picking up some of these modules and putting them together uh you know so for if you ask me a young entrepreneur today uh, uh let me give you uh, an example uh, a voice controlled software is so easy to find today you know uh, those controls are already available uh, which equipment in my house can i voice control you know uh the simplest and i always give these very simplistic examples of uh, an electric call bell in our homes uh, you know a doorbell still has those traditional three or four or five fairly irritating sounds you know why because uh, the tones while in my mobile phone i can practically make any sound in the world into my mobile phone tone now it's quite simple so an electric doorbell that can embed this technology in it not going to cost you a bomb be extremely wireless can be a video phone looking outside my door should be a very very simple thing to do uh so uh, the opportunities in my opinion uh, whenever we look at any problem statement in fact it is quite rare now that i don't find an answer to it within the electronic space uh, however it will not only be a hardware answer it will be an answer as i said between design hardware software and firmware where we are able to do that now look at what is happening to the automotive space you know uh, fairly largely being disrupted and i think it's only the beginning uh, of the electric vehicles coming in now what is an electric vehicle it's electronics on wheels uh, largely you know uh, so from the motor the power train the battery the lithium ion but more importantly the controls and how i communicate this vehicle with the other autonomous driving and of course is another end of the thing so again there are a lot of uh, opportunities but in, at a more practical level i would say even for our own companies today you know uh, india is an is an extremely special place uh, our demands as a consumer are probably the highest we want all the features and we want them at the cheapest price possible and we want them to work in the most harsh environment because Uh, our summers are getting harsher our winters are getting harsher our dust levels are high our air is polluted our water is polluted uh, so for example if you look at an air conditioner you know it's not a luxury item anymore i think it's only the gst department that looks at it as a luxury item everybody else you know a poor person everybody feels hot at 50 degrees outside needs an air conditioner and fortunately the pli for air conditioner is going to answer that to large extent so on the one hand we have to think like an ecosystem we need to drive down the price of the air conditioner our friends in the finance industry need to make it easy for people to buy it on emis at the cheapest price possible we need to make a energy uh, efficient highest efficiency of energy is required because that middle class or low middle class person who is acquiring an air conditioner for the first time who deserves it may not be able to pay you know uh, for the energy that it's going to consume unless we make a really super efficient air conditioner but the beauty is that if you make it well our penetration rates today are abysmal uh, you know our uh, per capita electronics consumption is at one fifth of the world the average of the world is about 300 dollars we are at 60 dollars so we have a lot of headroom to 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 grow uh, 
and so so everybody in the ecosystem not just electronics people the suppliers of these air conditioners you know the uh, if, uh, now in air conditioners you might know there is a new inverter air conditioning a new circuit that has come in which brings down the efficiency so the components for that are required and so if you look at this one subset one small equipment called air conditioner a whole we build out of if we do it well quite frankly at least half the world is our market because you manage to create a very efficient machine that can run in uh, dusty environments polluted environments uh, you know be used all the day because in that one room house uh, somebody or the other is using it all day uh, you know it's uh, so it's not like in a in a luxurious home with six bedrooms some air conditioner used only for a few hours every day so these are rugged machines that are being built today if we do that right africa middle east rest of asia asean south asia everybody becomes a market so i think we have a massive opportunity not only to make it india for india but for the world but for that the missing piece is that this is a supply chain driven industry we need to all come together and that is where i think this ecosystem a policy making needs to play an extremely exemplary role which i'm happy that they're beginning to play in many areas yeah that's a very good point in terms of the export uh, potential of the electronics sector i mean electronics is uh, perhaps after mineral fuels one of the largest uh, sectors in the global economy in terms of exports and uh, i think that there is a, a tremendous uh, you know uh, in terms of countries as well as in terms of products a lot of mix that can be brought into exports but currently our share of the global electronics uh, exports is very very low i think it's just about 0.6 or something percent so how can we actually how would you advise entrepreneurs to go out and uh, be able to uh, access those markets what are the uh, policy changes that may need to be made to be able to enable uh, uh, indians to go out and export electronics Two, uh, two points there. One, uh, you know, there is traditional exports that we've been doing to some extent. Uh, there are some Indian brands, uh, Auja Radios, you might recall, is one of our champions. You know, who's been exporting a branded product, but unfortunately, those examples are very few. So my my answer in the first stage is that uh, companies in India that make products, either for themselves or others, uh, have a big opportunity to create brands around the world, which we haven't done. Uh, in many cases but but now is the opportunity because the number the scale is all there for us uh the the other part of it is uh, for example you know uh, a recent example is a product line like wearables and hairables you know the uh, the the ancillary uh, earbuds uh, you know uh, that we are all using now these were largely imported and it's not a small business there by itself it is uh, i think it was close to half a billion dollars already and uh, it's only going to grow again this is an area which is a combination of plastics rubbers uh, you know some electronic items some speakers some it's not rocket science it can be made in india and so a recent pli that's a, a phase manufacturing program that's been got it in this budget in the recent budget augurs very well because we are now beginning to identify small what you might call niche areas but are still large enough for us not only to make for india but for make for the world uh, there are indian companies uh, which have now for example in this wearables there are one or two companies home grown indian brand startups who within two or three year, years have now come to a turnover account or just taken up about 2000 crores uh, you know so those kind of opportunities exist uh, for us uh, not only for india as you rightly said but also for us to export and let's not forget that at the end of the day uh, 
as we get into the supply chain, we are like what we have done with mobile phones. We will become a global manufacturing hub. So some people will use our manufacturing facilities to address the world markets. Now this doesn't have to only to happen for for mobile products. It can happen for all products. I mentioned air conditioners and things, but it can also happen to components. We can become the capacitor maker of the world. You know, for other people, as was done for some years in Taiwan, Korea, and China. We can become the PCB makers for the world. Uh, we can become the cable the wiring harness maker of the world, because a lot of these common transformers, inductors, you know, ferrites, uh, they still, however, how much ever you automate them, there is a large component of labor that's still involved. And in India, we still need these jobs, uh, so we are still at that level. And I think uh, so. So why? So you will see that right through my uh, my my uh, communication, uh, I am consistent with one thing, which is that. We need to not only look at assembly, which is a great starting point. We need to look at full-scale manufacturing because that is robust, and and then this virtuous cycle will be set in motion. We will, having local supply chains will become very competitive in assembly and products and design, and doing that we will be able to choose our own components, which will also be made in India. And not for a minute am I saying that all this needs to be done by Indian or Indian companies alone. We welcome the whole world to this because it's a very large opportunity. Uh, so at each stage, uh, in some cases there'll be joint ventures formed, as you asked. In some cases there'll be technology absorption done from other people, uh, and at some stages it'll be homegrown technology, uh, maybe our own VLSI designs, our own uh, chips being designed, and now with the semiconductor policy being rolled out, I'm quite sure that we will also have our own semiconductors. You know, all that is uh, extremely promising, and I think uh, given the Competitive wage structure that we have right now, the amount of skilled labor that we have, the electronics uh, sector, manufacturing sector is tremendously exciting. Uh, what do you think is the role of uh, R&D in all of this, and how much do you think Indian companies should be invested in R&D, and what can the government do to encourage such uh, innovation and technology development, design, as you mentioned? Uh, to take place uh, within India, rather than by uh, you know, foreign companies in India, even if it is in India, how can we get more of it to be done by our local companies? We have done very badly in R&D. Let me start with that. You know, private sector investment in R&D is abysmal. Uh, the public sector or the government-funded R&D, uh, you know, uh, uh, yeah, quite frankly, has not not resulted uh, anywhere close to what the returns should have been. On the amount of money that government of India has spent so far, uh, you know, on on the centrally assisted or even educational institutions, you know, we've not been able to keep the output. So quite clearly, as we discover, uh, discovered in the area of skills, this is an area that needs to work together. Industry needs to decide what skills or what technology I need, uh, and hence the government has to, in my opinion, uh, stop mistrusting the private sector with money that's available for R and D. You know, in my opinion, no R&D money should be given to any institution, especially applied engineering. You know, I'm not talking about basic research. Yes, you can continue to do what you're doing. Uh, I'm not an expert on that. I won't comment on that. But in the area of applied, you know, where PRL levels of five, six, seven are achieved, now we want to take commercialized, or MRL levels of four, five are achieved, and we want to commercialize that. There is no business for us to be doing design in silos, only in an IIT or only in an academic institution or a CSIR lab. Not talking to the industry. I don't think any money should be granted. For every such grant, it has to become absolutely a part of our checklist that there is some industry or a consortium of industry, even better, 
which is willing to back that technology and take it to markets. Uh, we spend too much money there, and so that's one bit that we can do. Of course, uh, our uh, the the academic track and the business tracks have been running parallel, never meeting each other. The KRAs of what our professors are trying to do, what our PhD students are trying to do, are not at all aligned with what the business wants to happen, uh, and uh, which is a pity. Uh, now coming to uh, also uh, the way we treat design, or in this country, so design industry is not treated like an industry at all. No banks will loan them any money. They are not allowed to commercialize anything because our banking or financial system does not support that at all. I will on that. I will just uh, end with one example. See, the UK government gives you a tax break if, as an individual citizen, I put some of my money in one of these uh, design houses or technology-led companies. And I think something like that needs to be done. We need to get civil society, we need to get the taxpayer, the citizen involved in this whole game. Because at the end of the day, we are co-creating an industry. This was a tremendously interesting conversation and I think we learned a lot about the future of the Indian electronics sector. Uh, thank you so much, Mr. Sharma, for being with us on this podcast and for elaborating on uh, the opportunities that are still there in this very exciting future for the electronic sector. It's been a wonderful conversation to me too. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to CII Podcasts.